step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on RZ One Mike, we talk about the state of boxing with the Mayweather, McGregor fight coming up, Tonello. Against Triple G, boxing is taking on the buzz. And we have a special guest with us tonight, Doug Fisher, here on One Mic. This thing right here is for my people's in the streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this One Mic. <laughs> there is a pause throughout the stadium as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And then at that particular time, I lost it. Devon Drup. Yes, yes, yes. Today, Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, then the people talk a lot about their training staff. Love, love, love. Yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one mic. Yes, yes, today, as we start this show, this one mic. Yes, I'm here. This is RG One Mic. This is the podcast where we go deep into an issue. Um, you know, if you want to catch our podcast, please check us out on iTunes. Uh, just search Real Sports Guys uh, and uh, on all, pretty much on all podcast-related platforms. And, uh, you know, listen to us. Give us some reviews. Give us some feedback. We love those fives. Uh, we love, like you say, we try to do this move, move it one person at a time. You know, if this is your first time listening to us, we're glad you're part of this. Uh, but this is our one mic uh, where we're, we go deep into an issue. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about boxing. Uh, we uh are blessed to have one of our, our to our RT platform. We always have great special guests, but we have some folks who have just been riding with us for a long time. We have Doug Fisher uh, from uh, RingTV.com. That's going to be uh, the, the the web social media platform uh, for uh, Ring Magazine, the, the Bible of Boxing, and and, and and you know the RT faithful of here, Doug. You know he's going to bring the fire. We just going to throw it up and let him do what he does. Uh, but if you like our other shows, the Big Show. You know, with with Phil T, uh, uh, with the Game Changer and myself, uh, you can hear that on our platform. And we're gonna be hitting you with some podcasts. You know, Game Changer uh, and, uh, and I hit some uh, uh, a previous pod- a podcast we just dropped uh, uh, here recently. We're gonna hit some other stuff uh, coming up here pretty quickly. So check that one out. Uh, we got the Hustle and Flows. That's with the Game Changer and Say Cool. 
uh, that intersection between hip hop uh, and, and sports. Uh, and then I'm telling you, this one you can't miss is inside the park, uh, and it's with my partner who uh, hits me up here on one mic uh, with a Hank Davis, and it's about baseball. It's more than analytics. He's bringing back the story in baseball, the things that made people love baseball back in the day. Uh, Hank brings that flavor to it. Okay, so definitely check out Inside the Park. You know, we got big things going on here in RSG, uh, and we love it. Uh, we brought to you, this one's brought to you, this podcast is brought to you, and all the callers are brought to you by Carbon World Health, uh, our total fitness uh, solution. Uh, go and check it out at CarbonWorldHealth.com. Uh, let Mr. Rodriguez, Dr. Rodriguez, and the staff know that we sent you. Uh, they've been great partners with us. Uh, we're looking forward to getting Dr. Rodriguez here on the show to talk about sports. He's so involved. He's not only... Um, you know, doing something that I think is going to change the game in terms of um, how we think about health and wellness and sports and, and how he's engaging people with health and wellness. But uh, he's doing some incredible things, and we, we're looking forward to getting him on uh, on our podcast soon. But tonight, you know, with, with, with McGregor and, and, and Mayweather going global on us and creating all kinds of buzz, um, you know, boxes in the air. We got Triple G coming up uh, with a great fight. We got, we got, uh, Broner and, uh, and, and Mikey Garcia coming up uh, uh, here fighting pretty soon. I mean, there's going to be a lot of boxing happening here over the next uh, uh, several months, uh, and it's nothing better than uh, having uh, uh, someone like uh, Doug Fisher talking to us. And the, the pleasure we get with Doug is like tonight, he's not going to give you a prediction on the Triple G uh, uh, and uh, uh, Canelo fight. See, we got it like that. He's not going to give that to you tonight. He's going to come back for that one. He might give you a little bit of nipple, but he's going to come back for that one uh, when we don't go deeper in that fight. He's going to give us a broad brush because there's so much happening in the heavyweight division. There's a lot, and boxing is making this resurgence uh, uh, back into it. And I also uh, wanted to talk to Doug about, the, uh, the, you know, with, with boxing, you know, being uh, having much more of a presence on, 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 on free TV as well. Uh, we had talked about that when it first started out. Uh, Al Heyman had a different concept, and now it's been running for a while. I definitely want to get his insight on the role that 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 has had on the game. But before we get into that, you know we can't go any further. We can't do anything else. Y'all know how we got to do it. We got to bring my man Hank Davis in. We call him Big Bank Hank. He's the one who sets the tone in here. You know, uh, he, I call, he's big brother. He's got a cat. When we come down, before we even start the office, we got to go to the post and let him elbow a couple people, set the tone. What's up, Hank? How you doing? Hey, man, listen, happy summer. Happy happy Father's Day, happy Fourth of July, happy summer, happy steamy day, man. You know, it's been a minute since I've been on the air. You know, I miss you. You know, there's a lot been going on, to, uh, you know, both both on a personal level, but on a sports level, too, man. We got a lot to talk about. And I got to tell you, I'm really, really excited, you know, about tonight. You know, this the sweet science, man. We're going to spend the night talking about the sweet science, man. Of uh, uh, boxing, you know, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the heyday as we get into the show, but it's just that, you know, once upon a time, D, you know, everybody used to just get themselves geared up for that one big fight. Something happened every year, man, and, and you know, with, with with the advent of all of, all of these uh, TV stations and everything, and everything that's so accessible to folks, you know, kind of makes it that, that it's kind of... Uh, falling off the radar, so I'm real excited tonight, man, to to hear how how you know hear uh, from from uh, Fisher and see what Doug Doug Fisher and to really really get into some boxing talk, man. That's exciting for tonight. Yeah, I mean, you know, man, you know how it used to be. I mean, 
you, you know, if people who know uh, Hank and I, you know, know we we grew up in the uh, you know the Ann Arbor, Michigan area area, you know, and the, where we come, and uh, there was a Michigan theater. I remember, I think it was uh, uh, Hearns against Hagler, uh, and you know they supposed to show it close circuit, and you know we could get. I remember we were trying to put our ear up to the door outside the theater because they, that's where they were showing the fight coming out after that fight was over uh, because of how dramatic it is. And, you know, as much as people talk about boxing, when it's a big fight, you, real, you realize that that boxing has this special place. You know, people have put it on his deathbed, but every time there's a big fight, it has a way of shifting the ground. Even when, you know, you might say the trained eye, someone like, you know, folks like us who watch boxing for a long time was like, I don't know if this is going to be fun, but the hype is so big. It's going to be crazy. And so boxing brings an energy, man, uh, that was happening. And I know we've had the pleasure of growing up watching some great fights, you know, and some wars and some trilogies and, and all that. How, how, how have you evolved as a boxing fan, you know, uh, and how did boxing shape your sports experience and, you know, the, the, the talk in the, in the barbershop and, the, you know, the, the, you know, when you hang out with the fellas, like, did the, was the tone different when you were talking about fighters and arguing over who was the best? What was that like for you? You know what? I'm glad you asked me that, you know, because when I grew up, you know, first and foremost, my father was a, was a huge, huge boxing fan, okay? And and who who better to follow than the great Muhammad Ali? And he himself, even though boxing had already had, had made, its, made its place on, on the sports fabric, he himself had really uh, taken it to a different level in regards to how he just marketed himself and all these different things. But what he did during his time was he knew how to promote what you what you just got to talk about, the big fight. You know, the big fight. It goes all the way back to the to the Joe Lewis era, the big fight where everybody sat around. And, and what, it, what, what greater thing, you know, than, than, to, than to sit around and get ready for a fight? It almost takes you back to, you know, the – to, to, your, to your school days, you know, meet me after school. We're going to get this on. And that hype would go on until that bell would end, right? Everybody would be waiting for that fight. Well, that guy, guess what? That's right. Boxing had that niche, okay, on society. And you got ready for the big fight. You got ready. And, and for me, it was like you, you kept on looking for the next up-and-comer. And you kept on looking for the one uh, to that one. And you wanted to see the two best go at it all the time. And once upon a time, in, in the laws of boxing, these guys could not stand each other, okay? While the money was always good, somebody was always getting paid to be the promoter. But there was always just, I cannot wait to see so-and-so fight so-and-so, or see him fight again, or see him fight again. And those fights would be wars, you hear me? There would be That's wars, right. and people got people would, would 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 spend their last dime. You talked about being at the Michigan Theater, you know. You're talking about folks that would leave their homes. Nowadays, you've got pay per view or whatever uh, in your homes. People would leave and go to local theaters, go out of town because they wouldn't show them everywhere. D, like for an example, That's right. uh, uh, Muhammad Ali fought Ken Norton, and I know I'm dating myself, but I was only maybe. Uh, uh, a small lad at the time, but my father wanted to take me to this fight, and we had to go down to Detroit. Okay, and it cost like forty, fifty dollars <laughs> back wow. in the day. Okay, a fifteen-round brawl to get into this fight. We couldn't get in. 
couldn't get in because the fight was sold out. And they would sell out because they, they knew at that time that uh, they, they, cause they, you, had to go, you had to go to Detroit or you had to go somewhere else. That was the only place that was showing it. So they would sell out. And so people would just have to wait and see, but wait and see. And then you, you knew the uh, outcome of the fight. But then maybe three weeks later it would come on TV. Right? But, right. but the thing was, to, to, to your point, it had its niche. It was it was one of those I can't wait to seize, and that gave uh, boxing an opportunity to really personify a lot of their boxers. Okay, you knew who the villains were, you knew who the who the heroes were. It was almost like uh, like wrestling, except it was real. And I'm not trying to yes. disparage nobody, no wrestling fans out there. But these guys would try to kill each other. You could see the blood. You knew about the brain damage later in, in life, but you also saw the war. And it was, buddy, right. a war, especially with the heavyweights. So, yeah, it, it, it transcends. When you're talking about baseball or football, every big fight, can you imagine? Three fights a year, and they all have the same sort of air about it last the Super Bowl. That's what, that's what boxing it, used to be, man. That's what it used to be. It was that heavy with the, with the big fights. But you would also get some of these undercards that were some of the best fights you've ever seen. And, and, and as much as part of boxing as the fighters were, we think about the promoters and the role of media in the game. People, you know, people like Howard Postel, uh, you know, the Larry Merchants of the world, and the role that they were also part. The role, you know, we're going to have Doug Fisher. You know, we couldn't always see it, but Ring Magazine, I would love to know what their circulation was like back then because I remember we all would read through Ring Magazine, almost like it was Sports Illustrated. And to yeah. learn about fighters and, you know, so the role that that those magazines and those print material and so the role of the, the, the journalists also played in boxing was incredible because we all waited for that ring magazine to come. But we all, and so, like, we were just, we were reading a, almost in a way for the cats who grew up on hip-hop, you know, like some of the early hip-hop magazines did because you couldn't always see the artists. You didn't have the distribution. You know, MTV wasn't playing those artists, so the, the the print magazine and all those things were part of that ecosystem of helping us understand, you know, who the boxers were, who the people were as well. So was, you were getting that information, even though, like you said, the fight would play on closed circuit. We knew it would show up on ABC or somewhere later on, but we had all this. We, you couldn't wait for somebody to write about it in Ring Magazine or some of these other places so that you could learn, you could get more of a description. Uh, what people said about a fighter come out on Sports Illustrated, right, and describe in a much more detail. So that that's the part that that was also part of that uh, experience of creating who these fighters were back then. Talked about Ring Magazine. Whoever, who, who more to talk about than the great Bert Sugar? You know, um, uh, as as one of the columnists in in, in that magazine. You know, uh, you when you get when you you know you're doing something. You know your spot. You're your uh, your sport is really getting it done when you know the writers, okay, <laughs> of yeah, certain yeah, magazines. Yeah. When you hear a Howard Corsell or you say a Larry Merchant or, you know, uh, a Jim Lampley, okay, or, or, or when you start talking about uh, fight doctors, you know, uh, you know who the fight doctors are, okay? When you know Dr. Right. Freddie Pacheco, I mean, you know everybody in that sport. Because that's how personal it was, D. And, and, and you, I would love to see boxing 
get back to maybe maybe not the heyday so much, but get back to where those personalities, you know, where where with some of these fighters that 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 hatred it just comes back, you know, where where you got just personalities that guys that are just bad that you just love to hate. You know, uh, because they're that good, and your fighter is that good, and th- and you just know you're about to sit down and settle in for a war. You know, that's what that's that's what I would love to see. It, it is, you know, with MMA and everything that's going on, and with there's so many different options now in sports. You know, this this generation now don't know what they're missing when they well, again I call it the sweet science. That's what it was called once once upon a time. You know, uh, when when you could just see. Two pugilists get it together, man, and get it on, and they really can't stand each other. But they have trained, and you can just see it. There's, there's nothing better, in my opinion. Well, we're about to get it on. Well, we're going to take a break. You're listening to uh, RSG One Mike here on the Real Sports Guys platform. Today we're talking about the state of boxing. We'll get a little bit into the big fight, but, you know, we bring someone like Doug Fisher here. We want to get a sense of some much more bigger issues. Um, he's just – someone who's fun, who's been around, and, um, and uh, we're looking forward to having him on here just to talk about uh, the state of boxing. As I told you before, you know, the thing that we're great about when we have someone like Doug is that, you know, we're not asking him to give us the Canelo Triple G prediction right now, do that. No, no, nah, nah. we, we, we ask him to come back for that. That's what you can do with fans. You can ask him to come back for that one. We want him to go deeper, we want to get closer to the fight uh, and, and, and get him when it's fresh right before it comes around. But when he comes back, we're going to get a little bit deeper. Hank and I are going to really push this deep with him. Uh, it's going to be a treat. Stay tuned. Uh, 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 thanks for hanging with us here on RSG One Mike. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the Real Sports Guys. Whoopig. The phone. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Lone Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Cause ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low, Def G, so we crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake it. Hell but yeah. uh, back to the lecture at hand. Perfection is perfected, so I'm a lad, I'm understand. From a young G's perspective And before me dig out a trick I have to find a contraceptive You never know she could be earning her man And learning her man And at the same time burning her man Now if she burning I'ma chill for a minute Cause ain't no loving good enough to get burned while I'm a finish yeah. And that's relevant real deal holy feel And now you hooked up in hoes know how I feel Well if it's good enough to get off up a proper chunk I take a small piece of some of that funky stuff It's like this and like that and like this and up uh, It's like that and like this and like that and up uh, it's like this and like that and like this and a Drake creep to the mic like a fan. Well, I'm peeping and I'm creeping and I'm creeping. But I damn near got kept because my people kept beeping. Now it's time for me to make my impression felt. So sit back, relax, and strap on your seat. You've never been on a ride like this before. What a producer who can rap and control the maestro. At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick. You know and I know I feel some more funky yeah. To add to my collection, the selection symbolizes dope. Take a toast for don't choke if you do, you have no clue of what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do. It's, it's like this and like that and like this, Anna. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like this and like that and like this, Anna. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like this and like that and like this, Anna. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. It's like. 
Smashing this, smashing this, make it hard to adapt to this. Put pizzazz and jazz in this, the cash in this, master this, blast it and make a clap to this. DJs don't want cuts and obey the crowd. Just pump the volume up and play it loud. Hip hop embedded. Before I said I wouldn't let it, but me and the microphone is still magnetic. Straight off the top, I knew I'd be forced to rock. Then floor the stock, spot scorching hot. Hoping I open rock him a law, seminars, massage at the bar, smoking 10 hour cigars while I my meaties. With more vision and TVs, I find it easy catching diabetes and fly sweeties. Sit back and wait to hear slam and track. Rock a damn by popular demand of fact. I can show Joshua just did against Klitschko 
Um, and, and you think about what's going on there. You know, Tyson Fury is, you know, bringing his swag uh, 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 and everything else. And so you got all these uh, different these cats kind of emerging, and, and there could be some really good fights coming on. Can you just talk about, you know, for people who haven't paid attention, uh, like what are you seeing happening in the heavyweight division? Well, I agree with you. I think there's a resurgence happening right now. Um, I, I think it was Spar Fury when he upset Vladimir Klitschko in November of 2015. Uh, the fight itself was dreadful, but as you noted, Tyson has his own sort of swag. Uh, Fury's a, he's a bit of a loose cannon. He's a little bit crazy, uh, admittedly so. Um, he's, he's out of boxing right now. He's got some legal issues and some, some mental issues that he's been dealing with over there in the U.K., but by beating Vladimir Klitschko, he kind of uh, he broke the division wide open. And it's great to have a dominant champion in any division, but heavyweight division has always been viewed as the glamour division. It's always been a really important division for the American boxing scene. And when the Klitschko brothers kind of took over it in the 2000s, you know, kind of like from the mid-2000s up until just recent years, um, the spotlight on the heavyweight division moved from the U.S. Uh, to Europe, and, and mainly in Germany, where German TV networks paid the Klitschko brothers, you know, incredible amounts of money to televise their fights, and, and they're popular there in Germany because that's where they were they were uh, developed as young pros. They're both Ukrainian by nationality, but they were brought up in Germany and they speak German, and they can sell out any arena in that area or, or any uh, stadium, you know, so they're, they were big stars, but they were European stars mainly. They did good TV ratings in the UK, great TV ratings in Germany, terrible TV ratings in the U S where their technical styles didn't really translate. Uh, you know, they get the knockouts. These are big, strong guys. Yes, right. And they were awesome amateurs and you know, the, you, you can't knock them, but they weren't that they, they weren't terribly exciting all the time when they fought. So when when Vitaly retired to become a politician in his native Ukraine, and when Vladimir Klitschko got old enough to be upset by a guy like Tyson Fury, suddenly the division's wide open, and then we have these new faces popping up, such as 2012 Olympic gold medalist Anthony Joshua. And he just looks the part. Um, he's British, so he speaks English. And he's a technical boxer. He's a terrific athlete. But he's also a knockout artist. He's also a guy who's out there to get it. And that's what he did in his fight with Vladimir Klitschko, who's kind of like the old lion versus the young lion. And the young lion had his moment in the mid-rounds, and then the old lion got up and had his moment. So you had that trading knockdown, so you had that kind of drama and that kind of compelling action, and it went into the, the championship round. And the young man who'd never been past the seventh round, he rallied. In round 11, and he got the stoppage, and it was it was sensational, and it was a huge event in the UK. Um, they they uh, I think they had 90,000 fans at Wembley Arena. That's a soccer stadium. Um, that that's that's amazing. It did great numbers. Actually, the the fight was so um, anticipated that HBO and Showtime here in the U.S., they were fighting over the rights to who's going to, to televise it live, and they basically worked out a deal where Showtime would show it live in the after European fight, and then HBO would show it more sort of in prime time on tape delay. And I think that might be unprecedented um, for HBO and Showtime to share a broadcast like that. But that lets you know how important 
the heavyweight division is for boxing. And when it's good, when heavyweights are good, everyone pays attention, including American fans, even if an American heavyweight isn't involved. Um, but there is an American heavyweight on the scene, and he's undefeated. He holds the WBC title, Deontay Wilder from Alabama. And uh, not the most technical boxer out there, but he's a puncher. He's a pure puncher, and he knows what he is, and that's his strength. He's kind of like kill or be killed. He's vulnerable out there, but his power usually serves him. He usually bails him out of difficult situations. And I think Deontay Wilder, despite being raw, technically speaking, he's a threat to anybody. And then on another part of the world, uh, out of New Zealand, uh, the WBO title holder is an undefeated uh, boxer named uh, Joseph Parker. And he's entertaining. He's a guy with good hand speed. Um, he's got power, and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a brave fighter. So there's, there's these, these standout heavyweights in the U.K. and in Europe, because Klitschko is still, he's still on the scene. He's still a threat in America. Uh, and in other parts of the world. So everyone's looking at the heavyweight division right now. And then there's a lot of other players. There's a lot of contenders out there, like a guy from Cuba named Luis Ortiz. He looks formidable. Um, and there's other uh, contenders, uh, particularly from Britain, as a matter of fact. There's a guy named uh, Dillian White who's very entertaining. Um, and uh, there's an American sort of fringe contender, up-and-comer named uh, Jarrell Miller. He goes by the nickname Big Baby. And he can talk the mm-hmm. talk. Um, and he has he has ability. We don't know if he can walk the walk yet because he hasn't really been in with the top ten contender. But all of this adds interest to what was once boxing's glamour division. And if these guys start fighting each other, as we had with, with Klitschko versus Joshua, if the winner of their rematch, we're talking about fighting again in November, and Las Vegas wants that fight. So that fight, that rematch could take place in America, so it's going to have a lot of American uh, attention. The winner of that fight, if, if he were to fight Deontay Wilder or one of these other top fighters, um, just everybody's going to be watching the heavyweight division. But the most important thing, guys, is that the fights themselves are good. That's why Joshua Klitschko ignited the heavyweight division and also just gave all of boxing a huge boost earlier this year is because the fight was compelling and dr- uh, dramatic. One of the things I think is really interesting about these heavyweights, and I think you touched on it a little bit, is that um, Klitschko is to a, um, to a certain extent, you know, other boxers um, use their height, right? They they were technically sound. Um, they weren't as busy. Uh, they set you up. Right. The power, but some of these younger boxers, the combination, still like you, sometimes you're watching the middleweight. Um, so when you look at oh, a person I know. like Joshua, what was amazing about it is like his hand speed, but his his ability to transition into you know going to the body to head is so technically smooth. Um, get you know when you add size and that kind of hand speed, it's just the, the the way in which they throw combinations makes it even yeah, more. Yeah, you're right. It's like a, it's like a lighter weight fighter. I mean, that's why everybody got yeah. so excited about Mike Tyson, and he was kind of short for a, for a modern heavyweight. He wasn't terribly heavy for a modern heavyweight. But his speed and power, the combination of speed and power and his punching technique and his ability to, to cut the ring off and his ability to bob and weave as he closed that distance frighteningly fast, particularly for his opponents. And then once he's inside those body-head combinations, it was intoxicating. I mean, you had, I mean, you were fascinated by it. Even if you didn't know anything about boxing, you knew there was something special 
about the prime version of Mike Tyson. I'm talking about the guy from like 1986 through 1989. You know what I mean? That guy and Anthony Joshua has that, and 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 both Joshua and Tyson have that pace, that fighting pace. That's not like a traditional heavyweight. It's more like a, a middleweight or a light heavyweight. It's like a lighter fighter. And that's, that's great. That's the best of both worlds. But what's amazing about Joshua, I mean, that guy is a solid 250, and he's letting yeah. his hands go like that. And, and that's the Joshua-Klitschko fight was that rare occasion where I went with the younger, unproven fighter over uh, a battle-tested veteran who can box, which was what, what Klitschko was. I was real close to picking Klitschko in that fight, but I was figuring, okay, he's 41, there's a lot of fights. He's been uh, a professional since 1996. He was the 1996 Olympian, just like Floyd Mayweather. He was the gold medalist at heavyweight. Mayweather was uh, a bronze medalist at, like, uh, featherweight, I think. Um, so he's been around a long time, and uh, he knows how to fight, but he had been out of the ring since the Tyson Fury fight. So I was figuring, okay, age, wear and tear, plus the inactivity, mm-hmm. that's enough to give a young talent like Joshua the the necessary edge that he needs to prevail. And what I really liked about Joshua over Klitschko was his hand speed. He's so freaking – he's just – he's quick. And he lets them go, and, there's, and the, the, the punches are accurate, and the power is always there. The other thing you alluded to, and I think I, what I love about Joshua and, and also about Wilder, but I think Joshua has this mix of the, the charisma and the ability to leverage social media, the ability to tap into culture. You know, Joshua has it's the way in which he, he, he presents himself that I think can be crossover into American audience. Where you know, yeah. almost it, like it a helps that he Lewis speaks English, but he's, he's a gentleman too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's a, and you know what? I also think that the the boxing public these days are more open to international stars. Like everyone yeah. thinks more globally than they used to. Because when I was when I was a young boxing fan and 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 just becoming a hardcore boxing fan, this is sort of in the late eighties. Most American fans didn't have a lot of respect for, for fighters, even, even world champions from other countries, particularly in the heavyweight That's division. Right. The heavyweight division belonged to America. And when you heard about a European heavyweight making noise, you always suspected him. You always suspected that he wasn't as good as advertised, and particularly British fighters. You were always thinking, like, yeah, you might be kicking butt in the U.K. once you come over here and fight one of our fighters, whether it's Mike Tyson or Tim Witherspoon or Ray Mercer, or whoever, you're getting knocked out. And the joke was mm. that the, 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 the British heavyweights were known as the vertical heavyweights because they were always going out on their back. And you know what? When Tyson fought guys like Frank Bruno, you know, he, he kind of, he, he sort of, um, he backed up that notion. But I think these days, I mean, people are watching more programming, boxing and otherwise, from other countries. And the world is just a lot smaller now than it was in the 80s or in previous decades. So it's like you can watch a guy like Anthony Joshua develop. So you, you yourself can make that determination whether or not he's for real or not before he steps into the big spotlight against a guy like Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, whereas in the past, a guy like Anthony Joshua, you wouldn't have seen him. You wouldn't have seen his bouts when he's like 8-0, and 9-0, and 10-0, or even 15-0. and You would have maybe read about it in Ring Magazine, 
but there was no YouTube around for you to see stuff, and, 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 and American networks weren't showing up-and-coming British prospects. So these days you can see it now. So I think, I think American fans are more open for uh, a guy from overseas, whether he's from Britain or, or, or otherwise. I mean, look at, look at Vanati Golovkin. Once he came over to the States and started putting a, a, a KO streak together on HBO, he got fans. He got fans who are American. He got fans who are, who are Mexican. He got fans who are just hardcore boxing aficionados. So I, I think people are a little bit more op- open to that. But, um, you know, the thing about Joshua, he says all the right things. He's so classy. And just like Lennox Lewis mm-hmm. was. But Lewis wasn't readily accepted by the American public as much as he probably should have been. Uh, maybe on, you know, his last couple of years, I think the American public – Mm-hmm. Kind of grudgingly was like, okay, man, you're real. You're definitely a future Hall of Famer. And I think that it's the same thing with Vladimir Klitschko and Vitaly Klitschko. But I think Anthony Joshua is coming at the right time where American fans are ready to uh, receive and appreciate um, a, a, a British-born heavyweight champion if Joshua turns out to one day be the undefeated heavyweight champion. I think he's got potential to do so. I would favor him to do that, but um, I think – uh, Deontay Wilder has something to say about that. I think Tyson Fury, if he can ever get his license back, has something to say about that. And even that guy from New Zealand, uh, Joseph Parker, he, he's dangerous. So there, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of tough fights out there for Joshua, including the rematch for, for Vladimir Klitschko if that gets finalized. Uh, you, you almost, and I, 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 before I move on to this, this next topic, you actually, as you were describing, I was thinking, Emmanuel Stewart played a critical role in that. So that, if we think he about did. the role he played with Lennox and the Klitschko's, it's almost like people say, well, how did you get the ghetto pass? You, you get the you get a sense you get some <laughs> validation because you get it, right? You get it from somebody who get in, in some yeah. ways, Emmanuel Stewart helped to validate, right, uh, the quality of the boxing. And I just thought about that as yeah. you were saying that, the role that Emmanuel Stewart kind of played to create, opening the door um, for some of these fighters in, in developing their technique, but you know, he, he. You know, when Manuel said it, you believed it, right? <laughs> you like this is quality. Yeah. In the role that well, you know, people the great like thing that about Manny, bridge it. The great thing about Manny Stewart is he always saw the potential in fighters, and when everyone else said they're garbage, he would look at them and say, "No, you you know how to box. You had a great amateur background. You're an Olympic gold medalist. Um, you're just not you're not using your height and reach." You're not boxing yeah. the way a heavyweight. You're not boxing the way a man who's solid muscle weighing 245 or 250 pounds should be boxing. And he picked up Lennox Lewis after Lennox Lewis was knocked out in two rounds by Oliver McCall. In fact, it was it was Emmanuel Stewart who trained Oliver McCall to fight Lennox Lewis that first time That's right. in Britain. And he he got with uh, Manny Stewart got with. Vladimir Klitschko, I think, after Vladimir Klitschko was knocked out by Corey Sanders, a South African fighter who's passed away. That's right, that's right. A real dangerous, tall, rangy southpaw with speed. Um, And he stuck with Klitschko after Klitschko lost to Lehman Brewster in their first fight. And then he slowly rebuilt him over the years into what uh, eventually became a future Hall of Famer, somebody who put up the kind of titleless numbers and had the, the sort of longevity to where, uh, statistically speaking, you could compare Vladimir Klitschko with the great Joe Lewis or with the great Larry Holmes. So, yeah, that's – I mean, there's so many feathers in, in Manny Stewart's cap in terms of 
his ability as a as a trainer. But man, he was really good with heavyweights. You know, it was Manny Stewart who kind of rehabilitated uh, Evander Holyfield after Holyfield lost That's the right. undisputed title to Riddick Bowe. He trained Holyfield for that rematch. That's right. And well, he, he also the, he um, also created the foundation for Michael Moore. That's right. He, I mean, he's and, and, and I'd love to. I think one of the things one thing we're going to try and do probably uh, sometime is I, I want to do a show just with you talking about the impact of of, of, of Manny's story. You know, we're from Michigan. You know, Crock Jam, Detroit. I love to like really yeah. deep, deep um, and, and talk about. We're gonna put. You got me thinking about an idea. I love to bring you back to go deep. Oh yeah, that's a great uh, idea. He, he, his tentacles are his tentacles are everywhere. You listen to the RSG One Mic. Uh, we're here with uh, uh, Doug Fisher, uh, editor of ReadTV.com, and he's been on every platform, whether it's HBO, Showtime, wherever uh, you see him. Um, he's someone who's passionate about the game, and that's why we love having him on uh, RSG. Obviously, uh, we got this big fight on August 26th, and we're not going to get into kind of the technical stuff. You and I have talked about this. You know, uh, you, you know, you don't spend a lot of time watching MMA, and to understand no. Connor, <laughs> you, you actually have to hey, spend time. And by the way, him. by the way, nothing against the UFC, nothing against Bellator, nothing against any of those yes. MMA outfits. I got a lot of respect yes. for MMA fighters. I mean, yes. even before the UFC blew up, I would see UFC fighters in the boxing gym before, you know, that, yes. that sport was big enough to where they had their own gyms and training centers. You always saw MMA guys training. And I always respected them as athletes. Um, I just don't have the time. <laughs> I don't know how that, some uh, yeah, I mean, you, also you, cover <laughs> MMA. I mean, my hat's off to them because you get no weekends <laughs> off when you're covering both boxing and MMA. I need some, I'm getting old. I need some weeks off. Yeah, so you. I'm like, I'll kind of <laughs> casually follow MMA. You know what I mean? Like, a casual boxing fan just knows about three or four big-time fighters and doesn't really watch the, the entire fight live. But, we'll, you know, if he, if he hears something was like a really good fight or whatever, we'll catch, like, some highlights right. on SportsCenter or on YouTube or whatever. So that's, that's, that's how I follow MMA. It's real casually. Yeah. So, so what I'm going to do is take the boxing side because you have spent a lot of time analyzing – uh, Floyd Mayweather, you know he his old must go and hasn't gone yet. Um, you have nope, at forty nine and many people have stepped up and, and 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 people have fallen. Can you talk about the formula that someone would need to have to beat Floyd? Not necessarily Connor, but if you're going to beat Floyd, what do you need to beat Floyd? <laughs> yeah, it's not Connor. I mean, listen, I, you never know. I mean, there's a reason they fight. Uh, other than Price. <laughs> yeah, I've been impressed. What did he do? Right. Uh, well, okay. So, um, I mean, the style to trouble Mayweather is—it's two extremes. It's either you're a pure boxer with a very good, sharp, busy jab, pop him on the outside with, or you're the you're the opposite end of that spectrum where you are a pressure-fighting, volume-punching mauler who does not have textbook technique, who is a bit awkward, who is a bit unorthodox, somebody like a Marcos Maidana, okay? Um, those are the two extremes. Somebody with a really good jab is always going to catch him. That, that shoulder roll defense, it's great for slipping a right hand, and then Floyd can come back with the right hand. That's, the shoulder roll is awesome with that. When you're fighting an orthodox fighter who's looking to land that right hand, the shoulder roll, you saw it with James Tony. 
He was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think his YouTube videos. The James Stoney just rolling with the right, his opponent's right hand and coming back with his own right hand over and over and over again. And Floyd is just as good as James is. Um, James may be a little more fluid. Floyd may be a little quicker and with more pop on the end of his, of his right-hand counter. Um, but the jab, he's right there for the jab. He's just – because he's not – he's sort of leaning back. He's not getting low, okay? And there's, it's not like there's the side-to-side head movement. He either leans back or he kind of twists. At his, at, his, at his waist with the shoulder, and you can still pop him with a left jab. So if you look at Mayweather's fight with Oscar De La Hoya, even though this is 2007 yep. version of Oscar De La Hoya, he's maybe eight to ten years removed from his athletic peak. Over the first half of that fight, when he really had his moments in that fight is when he was kind of boxing the way he was always taught. That was always sort of um, – his comfort zone, just being on his toes and popping the left jab. That was always his bread and butter. And he troubled Floyd with the jab. If you look at Floyd's fight with Miguel Cotto, Cotto, the punches that produced blood from Mayweather's nose and mouth, it was the jab. That's how he was able to back him up and then have some success working him over the ropes. Um, and then the opposite end of that spectrum, Marcos Maidana, the first fight, he just swarmed him. Uh, but you know what? If you look at box, uh, what, what is it called, CompuBox statistics for the first Maidana yeah. Mayweather fight, you'll see Maidana threw a lot of jabs and landed a lot of jabs. In fact, he might have outlanded Mayweather in terms of the jab. But what was really where he did his damage and, and, and got the attention of the judges, or at least the ring, you know, the ringside commentators and the ringside press, was when he was able to back him up and just swarm him over the ropes, and it wasn't pretty stuff. And and, May, and Maidana's style doesn't work with everybody. I mean, I, I was ringside when Devon Alexander shut out Maidana. I was ringside. Mm-hmm. I was in St. Louis, as a matter of fact. I was ringside when a totally, I don't want to call him shot, but a totally faded, way, way, way past his prime, El Terrible, Eric Morales, went 10 hard rounds with Marcos Maidana and, and, and had his moments and was snapping his head back. And it was a very close fight. It could have been a draw. Maidana won it by a couple of points on all three scorecards. Maybe one scorecard was, was even. I think it was a majority decision. But a guy like, like you know, an aggressive-type boxer like uh, Eric Morales, Maidana creates opportunities for him, and he's able to nail him. But a defensive boxer likes to operate from a distance, a swarmer who deals in volume, who does not have textbook technique, who's just throwing crazy punches from odd angles, that's the kind of style that's going to give uh, a classic stand-up one-two boxer like Floyd Mayweather trouble. Just like, you remember a guy named Ricardo Mayorga from Nicaragua? He would light up a cigarette yes, after yes. his fight? Yeah, yeah. Yes. He gave a, a beautiful, you know, he, he's passed away now, dearly departed, uh, a boxer in uh, the Viper, Vernon Forrest. He, 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 was, he was kryptonite for Vernon. Vernon was kryptonite for most boxers, but he was a, a classic stand-up one-two boxer, and that unorthodox, wild swinging style of Marcos Maidana, it gave the classically trained boxer trouble. As uh, an, an unorthodox boxer in uh, – Sergio Mora also gave the classically trained boxer in, in Vernon Forrest trouble in their first fight. Um, so it's for, for me with, with, with 
Floyd Mayweather, it's those two extremes. And every now and then you get a fighter who's a little bit of a combination of both. Um, if you look at that first fight between Floyd Mayweather and Jose Luis Castillo, Castillo gave Mayweather fits because he was working behind a jab. Castillo was a pressure fighter, but he was a very good technician. And he, at that time, he was a naturally bigger man, and he had uh, more professional experience. And he used that in his fight. He just kind of patiently walked Mayweather down behind the jab. And whenever he, he got Mayweather's back to the ropes, then he switched his attention downstairs, went, with, uh, went to the body with both hands, and gave him a really good fight. It was a very close fight. It could have gone either way. Um, you know, I was ringside for that fight, and I thought Mayweather edged it by one point. Um, HBO's Harold Letterman had it for the Mexican defending WBC lightweight champ, and a lot of the, the ringside press and a lot of uh, boxing fans also believe that Castillo should have retained his title in that first fight. So it's definitely the jab is key. Whether you're going to be uh, a, a classic boxer who's uh, on his toes and moving and, and utilizing uh, a, a, a busy jab, or if you're going to take the fight right to him in a, in a wild, swarming fashion, you've got to have that jab. I have no idea what kind of jab Conor McGregor has. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. You listen to the, uh, the uh, one mic on RSG. Uh, we're here with uh, uh, Doug Fisher, and all the callers are brought to us by Carbonwell Health, uh, the full fitness and beauty solution. Uh, please go over there and talk to Dr. Nessa Rodriguez and his staff and uh, let them know that we sent you. You can go to CarbonwellHealth.com. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you a little bit about um, uh, here uh, is, Obviously, they've been going around doing promotions, and we've talked about the power of promotion. Hank and I were talking about that earlier, that one of the things that boxing really brought to the, the world of sports is the power of the buildup. Um, and no one's better than Ali and others around building it up. But one of the things I think that right. boxing loses from MMA is the ability to, to, to market from event to event. And so what we saw in right. uh, Canelo against Chavez, Chavez is, it was a, it was a it was a terrible fight, but because <laughs> the promoter who was handling this fight was handling that fight, they were able to bring Triple G on to the uh, into the ring, and it made that event special. Even though the fight wasn't great, so they were able to start promotion in a way that you can't do from McGregor to to the Canelo Triple G fight. Right. So what do you right. think about that? Yeah. And, and that's been part of the, the criticism of the fight from peer boxing people just in terms of breaking it down. I think part of it was people think it's going to take away from the, the Canelo Triple G fight. And yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 but Tell you're right you about, about that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and that's why what we've seen in the past, the stars that we have today from Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao to – Oscar De La Hoya and Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson. Part of the reason they were able to be you know, built into household names in the United States or close to it is that they were all on the same platform. They, regardless of who was promoting them, they were HBO fighters. And so as HBO right. grew as a subscription cable network, and really got behind boxing. And at one time, HBO had an annual budget for boxing that was between $80 million and $100 million. So wow. they, were, they were invested in the sport. 
and they they would come out the pocket to have the best fighters and have them fight often on their network and would build them up and and that's important so i mean that's that's something that the UFC has is they they're they're a combat league they're like a league like major league baseball or NBA or the NFL um, and so they're able to get that momentum. They're able to have that consistency and continuity that all fans need, whether you're a fan of boxing or a fan of a particular TV show or of, you know, comic books or whatever. Hardcore fans need continuity. They need the buildup. They need to string everything together. They need to know where they're going. And um, for probably the last decade or two boxing hasn't really had that it's, it's always been fractured but it's never been as fractured as it's been in the 2000s where it's like you have a lot of different promoters and they don't like each other <laughs> so they're not going to work together to promote another another you know promotions upcoming event and and that's too bad uh, and you even see it uh on the casino level there was at one time where all the casinos kind of work together. Like the high roll, it's like a like let's say MGM Grand or Mandalay Bay was hosting a big fight. Um, the big time casinos that weren't in business with the Mandalay Bay would still work with the Mandalay Bay in um, selling tickets to that event to their high rollers, to their VIPs. Like so, like mm. uh, Caesar's Palace would 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 mm-hmm. buy a huge block of of tickets to let's say. I don't know, Lennox Lewis versus David Tua at Mandalay Bay. You know mm. what I mean? They used to do that. And then at some point, it, the corporate structure got so cutthroat with the, the companies that owned MGM Grand. You know, MGM Grand bought out Mandalay Bay, and then they were like, no, we don't, you know, we're going to save our tickets for our own VIPs, our own high rollers, and, you know, we don't care about your high rollers, you know? And so you know, Las Vegas stopped acting, you know, like in unison as, as, as a city. Um, and, and that, and that, it, and overall that hurt events. There were events that could have been sold out had everybody worked together, but they didn't. And and then you see the same thing in boxing, you know, during the cold war, war period when um, golden boy wasn't doing business with top rank, obviously that was going to be detrimental to the sport because those were uh, the two biggest promotional companies in America. And they had the most talent, and they had talent that were right. that occupied the, the same divisions, like welterweight. You know what I mean? Yeah, that wasn't any good. You know what I mean? Um, so that that hurts boxing. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was great that you know Golden Boy was involved with uh, Canelo Triple G, so that right after Canelo Chavez, they were able to announce with with both fighters right there in the ring, Canelo versus Golovkin, and it was it was like UFC style. The way that that fight, or, or WWE style, it was that's, that's the right. way it was announced was sensational, and you know some people made fun of it, said it was corny or whatever. But you know what? Everyone paid attention, um, and 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 you're right. That's promotion is something. That sort of sensational promotion is something that boxing was always on the forefront. You know, along with pro wrestling, um, and and Muhammad Ali was kind of like that first generation of a pro wrestling style self-promoter in the world of boxing. And you saw it really before he won the title against Sonny Liston when he he purposely lost his mind at the weigh-in 
against Sonny Liston to where people thought the fight might get canceled because he was flying off the handle. But he knew exactly what he was doing. He was selling the fight at, at the same time that he was getting in to Sonny Liston's head. And um, we've seen fighters since Muhammad Ali do that from, you know, uh, Hector Camacho Sr. to Floyd Mayweather. And over in Britain, there was a guy named Chris Eubank who was great at that kind of stuff. So um, it's something that uh, hopefully we can get back to. And I, and I think that I think promoters are going to try to. I think looking at the success of the, the, the Canelo Chavez Jr. card, uh, which was not a really competitive fight on paper. It didn't turn out to be a competitive fight in the ring, uh, although some of us had our hopes. Um, it was promoted right, and it, it did a million. I mean, it did a million pay-per-view buys, which is amazing. Um, but that's what you can get when you have two fighters fighting each other who bring their own their their dedicated fan bases, and the fight's promoted right, and there's cooperation from the networks. You know, that fight was pushed just as hard by ESPN as it was by HBO. And, and that helped a lot, and that, that was due in part to the fact that Golden Boy now has a business relationship with ESPN. So even though ESPN wasn't airing the fight, they, they air other Golden Boy fights, and they're like, hey, let's throw Golden Boy promotions a bone. Let's push this fight. It's, you know, it's interesting talk fodder, and, and I think that helped it out a lot. I think that helped the event out a lot. And I think it's great that Top Rank now has a business relationship with ESPN. So we saw Manny Pacquiao fight on basic cable, probably for the first time ever, you know what I mean? Here in the United States, uh, that was, that was something, I mean, you know, listen, the, 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 the fight with Jeff Horn was controversial, but it did, it did like, I think it peaked at over 4 million viewers. So ESPN is happy with top rank. And I'm sure that encourages that network, the worldwide leader in sports to push those other fighters, those other world-class fighters who have their – they still have their careers ahead of them. I'm talking about uh, Vasil Lomachenko, who fights in August, and Terrence Crawford, who also fights in August. They're going to put the same kind of push behind Lomachenko and Crawford's fights that they did behind the, the Pacquiao-Horn fight, and that's going to be very good for boxing. And just the fact that ESPN is everywhere. I mean, it's in every hotel. It's basic cable. It's in all the bars, all the pubs, uh, all the fitness centers. It's always playing. So when the ESPN talking heads uh, are going over Terrence Crawford's, uh, you know, junior welterweight unification bout against Julius Ndongo, hey, most people watching that in a bar or in a fitness center, maybe some of them know who Crawford is if they're boxing fans. A lot of them aren't going to know who Julius Ndongo is, but – they're going to learn about it, and they're going to they're going to gain interest in the fight, and they're they're going to tune in. And there's people who tuned into the Pacquiao fight that were just Pacquiao fans or just had heard of Pacquiao or whatever, and they watched the fight and they were entertained by the fight, and they're going to tune in to see who this Vasil Lomachenko guy is. How good is he? And they're going to tune in to see Terrence Crawford, and I think they're going to like what they see because, I, as you guys know, Lomachenko and Crawford, those guys can box and they can fight, and they're in their their athletic primes so um the fans are going to be treated and and that's going to create momentum but i you know the bottom line is boxing needs to create momentum it's had a really good 2017 so far and and the sport needs to keep pushing forward event by event and carry this momentum into 2018 
Well, you listen to uh, RSG One Mike. This is why we love having him. Like I say, I feel like he's fam now. He's been backing up on our platform. I'm going to bring in my guy Hank, uh, who uh, is going to take you a little bit down some uh, the line where you were going with uh, some of your 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 your, uh, your comments about some of the other uh, fights that are happening on board. But I, I know Hank has a couple com- uh, questions that he likes to engage you in. Ahead, I sure, do, and uh, Hey, Doug, uh, welcome to the show. And I got to say that I've really just been appreciating uh, your knowledge and wisdom of the sport, and it's been really, really fun. Thank you. Fun, thank you. But my question for you, though, is I want to play a little bit of barbershop talk with you a little bit. Um, you know, one thing that, that boxing fans absolutely love is to say that if this fighter fought that fighter, what would happen? You know, once oh, yeah. we would always talk about the, the the Mike Tyson versus the Muhammad Ali matchup that everybody would have loved to have seen. But what I yeah. really want to ask you about is the, you, you you mentioned what it would take to 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 beat a Floyd Mayweather. So my question to you is, uh, what historic fighter do you think would have given uh, Floyd pound for pound uh, the most fits? Uh, well, obviously, um, uh, a nonstop, aggressive, power-punching, volume-puncher, pressure fighter like Henry Armstrong, I think that would have been poison for Mayweather because Armstrong was that one of those guys in his prime. He could take a terrific shot. Um, he was a 15-round fighter. The way he trained, he could fight nonstop three minutes of every round for 20 rounds. And that's the kind of fighter that, a guy like Mayweather, he wants to slow things down. He wants to pick his shots. He wants space or room and time to operate. And that's really a, a classic stand-up boxer, a one-two boxer, a guy who operates off the jab and the right hand, who's a good counterpuncher, who can be a stick-and-move fighter if he wants to, um, who can fight off the ropes. But against somebody like Henry Armstrong, who's just going to crowd him from the, from the opening bell, that's no good for uh, Mayweather, I, I believe. Um, somebody like uh, Aaron Pryor, who was kind of like the, the modern version pick. of Henry Armstrong, was really mm-hmm. good. And Pryor and had underrated boxing ability. He was unorthodox with the way he boxed, but he could box. He was at his best as a two-fisted, come-forward volume puncher, though. Um, but there was head movement. There was a jab. Uh, there was beautiful upper body movement. And he was really fluid with his, his punches and his footwork. Um, so if, if, if there's younger folks listening to this podcast, they should uh, go to YouTube and check out some of um, Aaron Pryor's fights or some of the highlight tributes to Aaron Pryor. You see a lot of footwork. You'll see excellent movement, great angles on his punches, excellent leverage on his punches, even when it seems like he's punching off the wrong, uh, the wrong foot. Um, so somebody like, you know, fighters like that, obviously these, these nonstop volume punchers who could take a punch and could keep coming forward, these are guys that would have been kryptonite, I believe, for Mayweather. But also the the superlative boxers, a guy like Ray Robinson, or, or my boyhood idol, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, I think, his style. And because they had such good jabs, their, their, their left jab was so accurate, so fast, so well-timed, and so educated, that, that a jab like that disrupts Mayweather. And you don't even have to have – I don't think you have to have a, a – an all-time great jab to trouble Mayweather. You just need a good jab to give Mayweather some trouble because, as I said, that, uh, that shoulder roll defense, uh, it's, it's hard to defend against a, a good straight jab. So these are, you know, those are some fighters, obviously, 
And, and when you talk about Armstrong and Robinson, you're talking about the greatest of all time. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's just the best of the best. Um, but, I mean, I'll, I'll say this about Mayweather's resume. Um, he's fought he's fought many. I mean, he's fought like 22 fighters who had held major world titles. And some of those guys uh, are, are in the Hall of Fame, like Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, and some of them will be in the Hall of Fame, like Shane Mosley and Miguel Cotto and Juan Manuel Marquez and, and so forth. Um, but I would have liked to see him against a fellow boxer, a pure boxer. I always wondered, gosh, what would have happened at junior lightweight had he fought Joel Casamayor, a KG Cuban school fighter who was an Olympic gold medalist um, who had, you know, you know, 400 amateur fights or whatever, but also had that pro style where he could be down and dirty and he was very crafty and he had the movement and he was a southpaw and, all, you know, had, he, had every, he had all the tools. I always wonder what would have happened if, if Mayweather would have fought a Joel Casamayor at junior lightweight or at lightweight or how he would have fared at 140 pounds against Takashi Zoo, another amateur legend, a world amateur champion who became the undisputed junior welterweight champion by uh, beating Sharmay Mitchell and Zab Judah uh, and had a lot of uh, excellent title defenses under his belt. Uh, and at welterweight, I always wondered, you know, how would have Floyd handled somebody like Vernon Forrest? a fellow U.S. Olympian and that classic stand-up one-two fighter with the beautifully timed jabs and right hands. And obviously, Vernon Forrest, naturally bigger, definitely taller and rangier than Floyd Mayweather. I always wondered what would have happened uh, with Floyd versus the best pure boxer technicians of his generation. Most of the, the fighters that Mayweather squared off with they were sort of your aggressive fighters, guys who stood in front of you or guys who just came straight forward in a straight line. Mm. With that being said, do you think history will view his uh, record as a fluke? No, 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 not at all. He's he's legitimate, even if you don't like him, even if you think he's overrated in an all-time great sense. Um, his resume is just too good. He's just got too many good fighters on his resume. His longevity was, was stupendous. Um, he was a champion, I think, from 98. So I think there was, like, there's a few holes in his, his title reigns. Uh, I think the year of 2004, you know, he abdicated his uh, lightweight titles at the end of 2003. Only fought once in 2004, and it wasn't a title fight. So there's a break there, and then he took a year off. And uh, was it 2008? You know, he retired after he beat Ricky Hatton and then took a year off and came back in 2009. So there's some breaks there. And then... You know, really, once he came back to boxing in 2009, he only fought once or twice a year. Um, so his activity wasn't great. Um, but going 49-0 and against the quality of opposition that he went up against and winning world titles at junior lightweight, lightweight, junior welterweight, welterweight, and at junior middleweight, that's nothing to scoff at. Um, uh, and I'm a big Mayweather critic. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he would have had trouble – Never mind the, in, in the golden age of boxing. I think he would have had trouble against definitely the fighters from the 80s, you know, guys like Thomas Hearns and Roberto Duran and Wilfredo Benitez and, and, and so forth, or Hector Camacho in the lighter weight classes, you know, at junior lightweight or lightweight. But even in the 90s, I mean, I think the prime versions of Oscar de la Hoya and Ike Corte and Felix Trinidad, these fighters would have been difficult for him. Or in the early 90s, guys like Terry Norris or Simon Brown or – 
you know, there's so, there's so many good fighters and so many great fighters and so many near great fighters in boxing in every decade. Um, you're always going to wonder how he would have fared against them. But that, you know, that opinion aside, what he did in his era, what he did from the late 90s through the 2000s and into the 2010s, you can't take away from his, his resume and his legacy. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the, the Boxing Writers Association of America. When I see his name on that ballot, whenever he finally retires and he's eligible to be on the ballot, as soon as I see his name, I, it gets a check mark for me. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Every bit a first ballot Hall of Famer as Sugar Ray Leonard was, as Oscar De La Hoya was. You know, he's, he's one of those transcendent fighters. I agree with you. I think that uh, a lot of what what kind of hurts these fighters is the the talent that they go against or not that next big name, which kind of yeah, segues me to my next question is about Manny Pacquiao. What do you think is next for him? Do you think he retires um, think, or do you think that's it after I, that fight? On Friday, I was at the Wild Card Boxing Club, and I sat down with his trainer, Freddie Roach, and I interviewed him for a segment on uh, Ring TV that's going to air before Miguel Cotto fights this guy from Japan, Yoshihiro Kamagai, on the same night that Mayweather McGregor fights, uh, August 26th. And we spent a lot of time just talking about Manny Pacquiao and veteran fighters and knowing when to say when. And uh, Roach was a former fighter, so he knows – how hard it is to walk away from boxing. He described it as an addiction. And he never made the kind of money that guys like Miguel Cotto and Manny Pacquiao made. So it's even harder for them to walk away. When somebody's guaranteeing you $10 million, boy, it's hard to say no, isn't it? And, and, and Roach had a great trainer in Eddie Futch who told him, you're done. Looked at him in the gym just watching him work out and said, you don't have your reflexes no more. You're done. I want you to retire and Freddie Roach's fighter's pride was bruised by that, and he was upset, and he left Eddie Futch. And he told me he fought five more times after Futch told him that, and he lost four of those fights. And he took wow. beatings in those fights, and which beatings that, which could have contributed to his Parkinson's syndrome that he suffers from today. Mm. So this is a subject that, you know, is close to his heart. And he said, he, he told me that two years ago he sat down with Manny and said, listen, um, you're getting towards the end of your career. You've been fighting for 20 years. Um, it's, it's time to start looking for that exit. And I just want you to know going forward, if, if, I, if I'm going to continue to train you, we have to have an agreement that when I tell you that you're done, that you're going to hang up your gloves. And he told me that Pacquiao said, yes, I agree. When you say I'm done, I will be done. I respect you, and I will be finished. Uh, when you say I'm done. And so what Roach told me on Friday was that, he believes Manny should have beat Jeff Horn. He wants Manny to beat Horn. He says he, will, he would greenlight Manny for one fight only, and that's a rematch with Jeff Horn. But he said after the, the Jeff Horn fight, even though he thought Manny won the fight, he could see that the reflexes aren't there anymore. The timing isn't there anymore. And he said the most important thing is the, the killer instinct has been gone for a long time. And he said mm-hmm. it just wasn't there for me. There was an opportunity, he believes, that Manny could have stopped Jeff Horn in that ninth round or at, at the start of the tenth round, and he didn't do it. And he said, listen, if you're not going to have that fighter's mentality, if you're not going to be ruthless in there, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, you shouldn't be fighting. 
So he says he can yeah. beat Jeff Horn, but he doesn't want to see Manny in with the Errol Spence Juniors or the Keith Thurmans or the Sean Porters of the world. That those are dangerous fights at this, or you know, God forbid, Terrence Crawford. Those mm. fights are too dangerous at this point. He recognizes that now, um, and, and to his credit, he says, you know, one more fight, and and uh, Pacquiao's done. And he says the same thing about Miguel Cotto. He says he's had a talk with Miguel Cotto, and Miguel Cotto's taking it one fight at a time. And even if he looks great and feels good against Yoshihiro Kamagai, who's a tough gatekeeper, but a guy that Kodo should beat, he says that Kodo told him that um, if he doesn't get a really big money fight or a significant fight by December of this year, he's probably going to call it quits too. Wow. That's, that's that's that that's deep. That's deep. You know, you think about so many fighters that they they, they don't know when to hang it up. They just keep fighting until they literally kill themselves in their future. That's that's yeah. Just, it's really great to hear they're looking looking out for them that way. Uh, I got one more question for you. Um, you and and again, we thank you so much. You've given us so much insight uh, this evening. But uh, you got to tell us. You got to tell our listeners what's the next uh, big rivalry to look for. In, in boxing, you know, we 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 all grew up with the Ali Frazier's and oh, yeah. the uh, Leonard Durans. What's the next one to keep your eye on? You know, you've mentioned a lot of uh, boxers uh, in our time tonight, but what should we keep our eye on going forward in the future? Okay, okay. There's three divisions where I I see the the type of rivalries can be fostered that the entire boxing world, the entire world, anyone who knows anything about boxing is going to pay attention to. And I'll start the heaviest in the heavyweight division. I think Anthony Joshua versus uh, Deontay Wilder. I think that can be a tremendous rivalry uh, because it's both coasts, both sides of the pond, as they say, two boxing proud, boxing rich nations, two English speaking nations against each other. Um, and Deontay Wilder knows how to promote a fight, and he's dangerous because he's, he's just a pure power puncher. He's the puncher of the heavyweight division, uh, and he's unorthodox in his approach, which, which can be dangerous against a, a well-schooled boxer puncher like Anthony Joshua. I think there's an, an, an awesome rivalry that can be fostered there between those two big men. Also, just on the U.K. scene, if Tyson Fury returns, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury or – Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. I think there's a nice little round robin between those three big men, Fury, Joshua, and Wilder, that can happen that will garner the attention of the entire boxing world, the entire planet. At middleweight, I think, depending on what happens on September 16th, and I do think it's going to be a hell of a fight, and we'll talk about it later on another podcast, Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G. If this fight is close and competitive, they can do a rematch. This fight can turn into a trilogy, and it will have the attention of the world. Um, and at welterweight, I don't know which two fighters a, a, a hardcore rivalry is going to develop in welterweight, but I do know that between Keith Thurman and Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford, when he steps up to 140 pounds, and he's probably going to do so soon, probably going to do so next year, between those three, Terrence Crawford, Keith Thurman, and Errol Spence Jr., all these guys are undefeated. They're in their athletic primes. They are marvelous boxers. They are marvelous talents. Um, there is a potential round robin at welterweight that can be, be just as good as the round robin between De La Hoya, Shane Mosley, Felix Trinidad, Ike Corte, or even, you know, uh, 
Leonard, Hearns, Duran, uh, Benitez, that kind of round-robin multi-fighter rivalry. I think 147 pounds uh, can be a very hot division if these guys fight each other. And fighters like Sean Porter and, and Danny Garcia, they also are in that mix at 147 pounds. Wow, wow, wow. This is, this is what we're talking about. We, we got, we got a, uh, somewhat of uh, clarity around Pacquiao. We got some Cotto. We got all this. Is, this is incredible stuff. And, and, and like anyone who's a, a, a friend of the, of, of, of the family, we also want to make sure people who listen to this podcast follow you. Where can folks find you? Where can they continue to get this rich kind of information you provided for us tonight? Uh, how do you want folks to, to follow you uh, to, to okay. learn more? Yeah, the website is ringtv.com. It's the official website of Ring Magazine. Just go there. All my stories are there. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter. It's at Dougie Fisher. That's D-O-U-G-I-E-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. It's the same Twitter handle for my Instagram. Uh, I've also got a Periscope account. Uh, and I also do uh, segments for a website called UCN Live. Uh, it's a segment called The Ten Count. And it's just basically a boxing writer's roundtable, and we talk about all the hot topics and big fights coming up in boxing. So you can catch me on those platforms. You listen to RSC One Mike with myself, Hank, and our special guest, for tonight, where we really went in uh, on boxing, Doug Fisher with uh, RingTV.com, Ring Magazine. You know, it's the Bible of boxing, standing wide. And like all of our guests, you know, if you listen to one mic, you know, our final segment is drop the mic. And usually myself or Hank will just do some final thoughts and then we drop the mic. When we have a guest, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what happens on Sway in the Morning or whatever. You know, we, we want to feature the guests at the end. And so uh, we're going to ask Doug to, to to get some final thoughts and then drop the mics and then we close the we close the podcast. So Doug, we want you to drop the mic. All right, I'll make it short and sweet. Mayweather McGregor is not going to hurt boxing. Boxing's been around for more than a hundred years. You can't kill it. I think Larry Merchant said it best. He said, "Nobody can save boxing, and nothing can kill boxing." And I think boxing has had an excellent 2017. The best are fighting the best. Mayweather-McGregor is an event that's not just outside of boxing. It's outside of sports. That's an entertainment event. And it's going to get a lot of people watching it. And they might be entertained or they may not be. But you know what? People are going to be talking about boxing and have been talking about boxing and other fights. Junction with Mayweather-McGregor. So I don't think that's a bad thing. Mayweather and McGregor are wonderful self-promoters in that Muhammad Ali vein. They're perfect for the social media age. They have dedicated fan bases, and a lot of those fans that follow Mayweather and follow McGregor and even those curious casual fans that are going to tune into this, they're aware of boxing, and they're going to hear about a lot of other fights that have happened that were excellent, like Joshua Klitschko and awesome upcoming fights like Canelo versus Triple G. And they're going to check out those fights. Boxing is back on ESPN in a big way with elite fighters like Vasil Lomachenko and Terrence Crawford and the Golden Boy Series where you see up-and-comers and young prospects and, and contenders who are moving into title contention. 
So it's in a great place, and I think the momentum is just going to continue through August into September. It's going to be a September to remember. It's going to carry on into 2018. And those rivalries that I talked about at heavyweight and middleweight and welterweight, they're going to carry the sport for several years in the future. And with that, I drop the mic. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.